The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? If you would grab your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're doing something a little bit different this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is the text that we'll be in. Just curious while you're turning there. Patriots? Wow. Falcons? Yeah. Food? <laughs> That's what I figured. That's what I figured. That's what I figured. It's basically just anti-patriots is really the response, right? You're not Falcons fans. None of you are Falcons fans. You didn't even know they were in Atlanta until like a week ago. And the only people, fantasy guys know a couple of the players. That's pretty much it. That's, that's pretty much it. Uh, that's okay. They're kind of the Duke of the NFL. You just want them to lose. That's okay. So um, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 6 today. And uh, I know a lot of you are very curious about um, what's going on with Stephanie. And uh, I'll be sharing that with you guys here in just a few minutes, kind of in the course of our time together this morning. Um, but I went long this morning, and so I'm trying to cut it down a little bit and show you guys grace. So let's uh, just jump right in. 2 Samuel chapter 6, let's open in prayer. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we ask that your spirit would be in this place, that you would just move amongst us, that you would just make our hearts glad with the news of your work and what you're doing in and around us. I pray, God, that you would just minister to hearts, that you would inspire vision, that you would bring excitement, that there would be joy with regards to your kingdom, understanding of your word, and we just thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. So I pray, God, now, even as we, as we begin, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O oh, my rock, my king, and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 Guys, today we're going to start out in 2 Samuel chapter 6, because there's a, a text in here that I think lays a good foundation for what we want to spend some time talking about this morning. And let me give you a little bit of the backstory here. Second Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 6 happens um, amidst a time period in Israel's history that many consider to be the pinnacle. Um, that even if you were to go to Israel today and you ask them about when are the good old days, what are the days that you're longing for in the future, what do they look like, they very often point back to this time when David was king of Israel. When Israel was the power player, when the, the, this monarchy, this kingdom seemed to be at its high point and, and many at that time might have thought they would rule and reign forever and ever, though we know it didn't turn out quite that way. And at this particular point, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we have the story of when David was anointed king of Israel. Now, David had actually been anointed previously. There was a king in place named King Saul. And rather than honoring God and obeying God, King Saul decided to do a bunch of things sort of his way. And so God replaced him and God sent a prophet to the household of Jesse and he anointed David the next king of Israel. David was the youngest. He was just a little shepherd boy. He was a nobody in a nowhere place, but God chose him as the next king. He was a man after God's own heart and he was the man that God picked to be king. But he, though he was anointed king, he didn't become king right away. 
The story tells us about seasons of significant conflict, times when jealousy erupted with Saul and and there was running and hiding. David's life was in jeopardy and in danger and all sorts of things happened. And then as you go into 2 Samuel, you see full-on wars breaking out, battles, there's blood spilt, there's all sorts of difficulty and carnage that takes place. But now in chapter 5, David is finally anointed king. And this time it's not in a small ceremony at Jesse's home. This would be, if you will, the inauguration. He's now officially king. He's not the next king. He's king of Israel. And the Philistines find out about this. David and the Philistines have some history. There was one Philistine who was rather large. You guys know him by the name Goliath that David took down. The Philistines find out that David's anointed king and they attack right away. But David is a man after God's own heart. He's not like Saul. And so he decides instead of just doing things on his own, he seeks the Lord and God lays out a battle plan for him. And there's this fantastic victory that takes place. And so it would seem at that point from, let's just say a nationalistic level, that Israel's in an amazing place. They finally got their king, the bad leader's gone. Now we got this godly king and he's defeating their enemies and all this stuff's just going great. And so David looks around and says to himself, you know what we need to do now? We need to get the Ark of the Covenant, and we need to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. Now, you guys know the Ark of the Covenant from the Bible stories and from one of the greatest movies of all time, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Amen? And so the Ark of the Covenant was this this really fancy decorative gold box that inside it, it held a copy of the Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff, um, manna from heaven was contained in there. But more importantly, this was the place where God's presence met with Israel. It, it wasn't just a fancy box to carry mementos, but, but on top of it, the top, the covering of the box was referred to as the mercy seat. And it was there that God met with his people. So the The purpose of this box, if you will, was that it would be a place of relationship for God and Israel. But, as can happen, God was viewed differently over time as as Israel. When you look into their history, he went from the one that they have relationship with to almost a vessel through which they can become great. They, they kind of became like this powerful nation and they would look at and use the ark, though it was prescribed in a certain sense that way, but they begin to use it as a sort of a good luck charm with their battles. And the Bible tells us of a story where Israel goes out to battle and they decide, we'll wheel out the ark in front of us and we'll be undefeatable. And God was like, oh yeah, you're going to treat me like a good luck charm? Is that what you think this is? Well, okay, see how that goes. And Israel's defeated And the ark is taken captive. Now during that time, if you want to go back and read about that, there's some fascinating stories that take place um, that make you understand exactly how some of the things written into that movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, came by. Some even funny stories about the interactions between the Philistines, these ungodly pagans, and the ark. And there's some fantastic stuff there. But all that goes to say that at this particular time, the ark of the covenant is not where it's supposed to be. And so Israel ends up in this high point. David's achieved this victory. He's the new king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, it says, David gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and arose and went with the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring the ark of, of God, which is called by name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzziah, and I don't know how to pronounce this correctly, but I'm going to call him Ahio because it's familiar. The sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart with the ark of God and Ahio before the ark. So David goes, 
we need to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. That's where it's supposed to be. And he seems to be sort of rebuilding a lot of the fractured stuff of Israel. So he goes after this ark and it says in verse five, David and the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the ark stumbled. Now, there was a specific way that God had told Israel all along that they were to address the ark, how they approach the ark, how they handle the ark, how they build the ark early on. This was God's thing, really, that was gifted to Israel. And so there are very strict um, and very specific ways that Israel was to go about that for very specific purposes that God was doing this. He was even teaching them about the fear of God and honoring and trusting and all, all sorts of things. And so David sins and they get the ark and there's all these people and there's music and there's celebration and there's this party going on. But as you read the text, you're, you kind of can't help but wonder a little bit. I wonder if this is a little bit of more of a nationalistic celebration. Like this, look how good we're doing and we've got our king and we're beating our enemies and now the ark's coming back and we will be unbeatable. Because they're not going about it the way God prescribed for them to go about it. And so as this all is going on, there's all this commotion. It's like a giant parade festival. And they're bringing the ark and at some point the oxen stumble and a guy named Uzzah reaches out his hand to stop it from tumbling over. And it says in verse 6 that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day, which means breaks forth against Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord at that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the, Lord, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. So picture the scene. Like there's this celebration and joy and there's good days ahead. You might say, we've made Israel great again. And we're going to bring the ark back and all this stuff is going on. But then in that moment, something that seemed maybe innocent, but is not the way God had them do it. This man reaches up and he touches the ark and literally drops dead in that moment. And everything changes. Suddenly David, instead of confident, is filled with self-doubt. How do I do this? What do we do now? Everyone's got to be afraid of it. You know the guys carrying the poles on that thing were shaking in their boots at that moment. And suddenly no one really knows what to do. And so this celebration is killed, so to speak. And they have to kind of set it aside. They put it in this other guy's house, Obed, Edom. You can't help but wonder if they're just like, we'll just watch it for a while and see what happens to that guy while it's at his house. You know what I mean? If everything chills out a little bit, now we'll think about things. And they, they set it over there for a little while. And, and David's left with a lot of questions. Like it says that he's even questioning and, and angry at God. Like I thought I was doing the right thing. And look, we were blessed. And, and this happens. And so some time goes by. It says, as the story goes on, there in verse 11, the Lord God blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. 
And when those who bore the ark of God had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Suddenly the festival's different. The parade has a different focus. And if, if it was, and it's a little bit of speculation, but if it was a celebration that was more focused on, look what's going on with us, it turns and all the attention now is focused on God. And you have this group of men who seem to be following even almost this biblical pattern where God would work for six days and then rested in creation. And so you have these people that go six steps, stop. A sacrifice is offered, gifts are given to God, worship ascends, then they would pick it up. Six more steps, stop, celebration, festival, or uh, sacrifice, gifts to God. And they did this over and over and over. They brought the ark the right way, not honoring a nation, not honoring Israel, not in mindless celebration, but very intentionally worshiping God, giving credit to God and looking to God, doing God's thing God's way, you might say. Now, we don't have to speculate about how that ceremony took place. And I don't mean just the six-step sacrifice. In the Psalms, we're actually given an insight into what they talked about, into what the songs were, into what the focus of this ceremony was as they went six steps, pause, six steps, pause. And so David, in Psalm 105, with Asaph, writes the following. This is the song of Israel as they sing. As this ark is brought from where it was back to Jerusalem, listen carefully to what is sung. See if you notice a pattern. It says this in Psalm 105, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and the judgments that he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen one. He is the Lord our God. The opening of this hymn, this psalm, as they're making this progression, this is what they sang as they did this. And the theme in this song is this. Remember what God did. Rejoice. Tell everyone what God did. Celebrate because of everything that God did. Instead of this, look where we're going, look what we're... There's this, there's this change that esteems God, exalts God's work... And then continually reminds David, the priests, the Levites, all the people of Israel, reminding them over and over, this is what God did. This is what God did. As they're moving into this new season as a nation, with all the difficulty behind them, the focus now switches and it becomes, look what God has done. 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 And so as the psalm plays out, the rest of the psalm, and just for time's sake, I'm not going to read the whole thing today. I did last service and I went way long. But the way the psalm plays out is he goes back and says, remember Abraham? Remember when Abraham was nothing? How God made promises to him? Man, God has been so faithful. Look what he's done now. Hey, remember Moses? Remember when Moses came and God used him to deliver us out of slavery and we were a nobody? Man, look what God has done now. And it's this constant revisiting 
to the faithful work of God in the past of Israel. It's this pattern that says, as we move forward, do not forget what God has done. In fact, broadcast it. Tell everyone what God has done. Celebrate the good news of the things that God's done in the past. And those will be things that will fuel us moving forward because it'll remind us it's not about our power. It's not about our might. It's not that we're so amazing. It's that God has been faithful over and over again. God has done miracle after miracle after miracle. God has provided. God has protected. God has never let go of us over and over again. That will be what fuels us as we look ahead because there could be dark times ahead, Israel. And we know there were. There's still battles to fight. There's still enemies to come. David, you might be on a spiritual high one minute, but we know from your story later on, you're gonna be at spiritual lows at other minutes. But the focus is always gonna be, remember what God has done and let that be what helps propel us and remind us to trust in the faithfulness of God moving forward. And this is a biblical pattern that happens all over the place. Um, even when, when God gave the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 20, he wasn't some grumpy God that just comes in and says, all right, now here's all the rules. But he comes in in Exodus 20 at the very beginning, and the first thing he says is, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of slavery and out of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he's telling them, hey, don't forget I'm the one that rescued you. I've shown my love. I've shown my power. I delivered you. You've seen how I've treated the enemies of God. And you've seen how I've blessed and protected and cared for you. Now here's what our relationship moving forward is going to look like. And that's the pattern. And you can see this all the way into the New Testament. We just had communion just now. It's the same thing. You got the apostles gathered with Jesus right before the crucifixion. And, and there's this dark sense of foreboding. And Jesus has been teaching them that, hey, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be here. And then he's talking with them about the fact that, hey, um, one of you is going to betray me. Like there's this whole sense of like, man, things are coming to some sort of real crosswords and, and what, what crossroads, excuse me. And then what is it he does? He says, take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my blood. And then he institutes that even for us for years to come. That says, hey, Heritage Christian Fellowship in Medford in 2016 and 2017, you need to regularly get together and come to the table and eat and drink the body and blood of Christ. Not because it's some vain religious ceremony that's like, now we have the favor. Now we will be unbeatable this week because we've gone through ceremony, right? No. It's a reminder that says, hey, whatever you're dealing with, no matter what storm comes, no matter what difficulty comes, or no matter what successes you're enjoying, remember, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of slavery. I broke you out of slavery to sin with my own body. When you're facing uncertain times in the future and you're wondering how you're going to make it, remember this, I am the Lord God who made fire rain down from heaven, who's brought locusts, who's done all of these sorts of things, and I gave my life for you. I'm not going to drop you. Remember the good works of the Lord as you move forward, anticipating the day that he returns again. It's a biblical pattern. And so we as a church um, made a decision a couple of years ago, and we're continuing to do this even regularly, to try, to try to follow that pattern even as a church family to some degree and say, hey, we need to take time once in a while to sort of just stop, make known the Lord's deeds among the people. And I don't mean just the things in the Bible of old, but God still moves, Amen. 
Like God's still alive and doing things today. His miracles haven't stopped. Like God's still doing incredible things. And there's a time to say, hey, let's take a, let's stop. Let's kind of take stock of what God has done so far. And then let's talk about where we feel the Lord's leading us using the inspiration and the understanding and the confidence of his work in our past as fuel for confidence that he's not going to drop us in the future moving forward. And so this was going to be last week. This was supposed to be Celebration Sunday. We were going to gather together and we were going to go through all these things and celebrate what God's doing. And then it happened. As you guys know, with regards to Stephanie, and please do not think I didn't for a second think about and be very careful with handling of a text where a guy in the story drops dead in a ceremony for God. But last week, that's what happened. Stephanie, one of our women's ministry leaders here, I'm, I'm assuming you all know this unless you're just visiting her from out of town, but, but one of the leaders in our women's ministry here, 35-year-old woman with kids and a husband, drops dead. Literally dropped dead in the hallway right outside that door, setting up for first service. And it was a massive tragedy. And so obviously it was not appropriate to go, we're praying for you, Stephanie. Um, now, Celebration Sunday. Like we're, that would be, obviously we're not doing that. So we as a family just came together and prayed. And, but now I'm, I'm sort of looking at how things laid out. And I'm like, man, God knows what he's doing. God is orchestrating things. And so the first thing I want to just be able to report to you guys and be able to celebrate is this. Not only was she, she was dead here, okay? She was dead. Um, some people on church staff, some of the volunteers that are here, um, Craig, her husband, jumped on it immediately when she collapsed. They were instantly doing chest compressions. We got the defibrillator machine out. It shocked her a couple of times. Like they were on it. They got her over to Providence, got her heart restarted. After we finished here, um, basically all of us were at the hospital. And the way the rest of that day played out was one of the hardest days I've ever been a part of. Um, she just kept crashing over and over and over and over. And instantly they would be back on top, doing chest compressions, shocking her over and over. It's a violent thing that happens in those settings, if you've ever seen that before. It's a very difficult thing to watch. And to give you guys an idea, between Sunday and, I don't know, Monday, midday, late afternoon, somewhere in there, I'm not positive where it was, but somewhere within that time frame, she was shocked around 50 times. Like that just kept happening over and over. And at one time so severe that in the room was um, Scott and Becky Biondi, that's her parents, um, Craig, her husband, and myself. And we're kind of against the wall in the corner. Someone's up on top of her doing chest compressions. They're shocking her again and again and again. And they're giving her all the medicines that they can. And it was to this point, no joke, one of the doctors was like, can we give her some more epi? How much has she had? And the lead doctor in there goes, I, I mean, I guess. And they pulled us out of the room while all that's still going on. They're still pumping her, pulled us out of the room. And the doctor starts going, um, guys, I, I don't know how to say this. She's not responding to what we're doing. And he was sort of tiptoeing around it a little bit. And I actually said they were, the family is super emotional. I said, doc, just what, what are you saying? Tell them, what are you saying? And he, he goes, she's going to die. And they were asking to stop chest compressions right then. She's going to die. And so the family was sort of reeling with that. And he said, let me just go back inside, see what's going on. And he'll check on her one more time. He came back out and he goes, well, we, we got a faint pulse back. It's really faint. 
we'll see what we're doing. But he kept telling. And at one point, the doctor and the nurse and the, uh, the, ch- the head of the chaplain department there actually pulled me by myself out of the room into the nurse's station. And he was like, you need to start preparing the family for some really bad news. That was the conversations that we were having. Um, the thing is, they didn't check with God before all of that. <laughs> and what has happened is nothing short of, of a miracle. Now, we have a long way to go. Um, there, there's kidney issues. She's been on dialysis. There's been all sorts of difficulties. We still don't know for sure what brain function's been affected. There's all sorts of things there. Um, but I can tell you that she got transferred to Rogue. They put her on an um, uh, external, um, what do you call that thing, pacemaker to be able to regulate heart function. They've kept her asleep for a few days just in hopes that the blood circulation would um, maybe help some of those organs heal themselves and all that. Um, and so what they did actually is they gave, uh, they, they removed her yesterday from some of that sedation and they're just letting, going to let her slowly wake up. And they were saying she probably won't wake up for a couple of days and we don't really know what we're going to be dealing with when they get there. But interestingly enough, um, Craig yesterday texted me. He was a little disappointed that it hadn't happened yet. He said, I was a little bummed. I was hoping that I'd get to see her eyes open today, but they know what they're doing. So I'm just trusting the doctors in all of this stuff. And we were talking about rest and all this stuff. Then yesterday he did say she's off sedation and blood pressure meds. Um, They've pulled seven and a half liters from dialysis and they're seeing some signs of improvement with her kidneys. Um, It just seems like the Lord's working a miracle. God is good. Can't wait to see what he does next with her. Then today at 8.21 a.m., which this time, 8.21 a.m. last week, she's laying there on the floor. Okay, so at this time, one week later, Craig's texting me as we're about to start service. And he says, what a start to the day. Steph is opening her eyes more and more. And now she's moving all of her limbs and nodding her head to questions that the hospital staff is asking her. He said, I'm so excited. Amen. He said this, he said, I'm so excited that I could cry that she's coming around like this. God is good. Um, And then he said this, while we were doing last service, um, he texted this. No, I'm sorry. This was, yeah, I was still going. I went late. So yeah, it was during last service. He said this, her brain doctor, for a lack of a better term, just, we'll call that a neurologist, but whatever, just came in. He's under stress. We'll give him some slack. Uh, just came in to see her and to check on her functions, and he was super excited and threw his arms up with excitement. If all goes well with dialysis, he wants to take the tube out of her mouth today. That's unbelievable. Guys, she was dead. And they're talking about taking her off of all of that stuff today. Long road, yes. Lots of things to keep praying about, yes. But interestingly enough, on Super Bowl Sunday, the neurologist did this. (laughs) All right? It's unbelievable. So here's what we're going to do moving forward. First of all, as we continue to celebrate what God has done in our church over the last season, her neurologist has formed our pattern. So here's what you're doing, 10 o'clock group. You're going to get warmed up for this game. Because here's what's going to happen today. You guys are going to sit around and you're going to watch this football game that really and truly you don't care about. You're not Falcons fans. You're just not. And you're cheering for them now. But in two years, you won't even know what their logo looks like again. Like you won't care. But today, when that game comes on, this distraction happens and we rally around our TV and watching two teams 
two grown men running around with a ball and slapping each other on the backside and stuff like that. We're going to celebrate and go, touchdown! How much more should we do this at the things that God has done when we look forward and look through our past and see his faithfulness? Amen? So as I go through some things and just share with you some of the good news and things that God's done over the last year, your response is, touchdown and cheers. And I mean that sincerely. So right now, listen, if you want to, people are asking, how can we support Craig and Stephanie? How can we help? A couple of ways. You can give through the church. Um, if, if donations come through the church and you just put in the memo for the Strom family, for Craig and Stephanie, um, we are able to then, not only is it tax deductible for you, but we're able to make sure that 100% of the money that comes through goes directly to them. So you can give through the church. Um, if you want to give, even as you're here today, there's a box on the side of the table at the connect desk out there, black box. You can put checks in, whatever you want to do there. Or if you want to give online or anonymously, or you have people out of town that are asking, a GoFundMe page has been set up for them. You can see the link on the church's Facebook page and it'll be on our main website here pretty soon. Um, so there's a way to give there, but even in that, just know that those organizations like GoFundMe, they do take percentages. So, so they don't get 100%, they get like 90 or something like that. So, um, if you want kind of the most bang for your buck for the Strom family, um, just feel free to be able to give through that. The other thing is Craig is one of the um, main leaders for our entire um, production team, setup crew, all of that sort of stuff. And he's been dying for volunteers already. And now he as leader is having to be, you know, kind of take a step back during a season while he deals with this. So one way you could definitely support them um, is to come alongside and help keep this kind of ministry and the work that he puts a lot of his heart and soul into afloat during this time. So um, ladies, even nudge your man. But although we take men and women, it doesn't matter. But man, nudge them and say, go help. Like right now, go ahead. Nudge them and go help. It's in the dark. I can't tell if you're doing it or not, but whatever. But you can do that. Just stop at the connect desk and let them go. But the bottom line is this. Man, our dear sister that was fallen, it looked like an Uzzah moment. We're here to celebrate everything last week. And we watched this whole thing fall apart. And now we're looking on Super Bowl Sunday. We're one week later, almost exactly to the minute. And we're just like, wow, look what God has done around. Amen. And, and as great as hospitals are, as great as the hospitals and doctors and nurses and paramedics and all those are, all of them thought she was going to die. This is a work of God that is keeping our sister alive. So praise God. So <clears throat> touchdown. Touchdown. Yeah, there we go. All right. Now let me get, let me get something boring out of the way if I can. Um, one of the things that we wanted to and had decided to a couple of years ago to be more and more transparent about, but also is a very tangible gauge of how we're doing as a church regards finances. So let me take five minutes and talk to you guys about that real quickly. Um, last year, um, we approved, the board of directors here approved a fiscally conservative budget of $890,259. And the reason that we're calling it a, a fiscally conservative budget is because Every year of our church's existence, giving had grown at about 23%, somewhere around that ballpark. But, but we started noticing, though numbers in the church were increasing, um, the actual giving was only increasing suddenly at about 3.5%. And we're seeing that in churches all over the place right now. Um, cost of living's going up. There's, there's lots of things that could be at play. So seeing that, we didn't want to go out and, and set budgets that were banking on money that we didn't necessarily have yet. That makes sense. So we approved a conservative budget. Um, of $890,000. And in the last year, um, with 
unexpected gifts, significant, large, unexpected gifts of $15,000 to the pregnancy center here in town and $12,000 to the mission in Carmen Sardon, both of which we'll talk about more in just a second. Even with those unbudgeted expenses or gifts that, that we gave out, we still finished 2016 with a uh, budgetary surplus of 34, over $34,000 at the end of the year. So God was very good and provided towards that touchdown. That's very good. Very good. I like it. I like it. You guys are getting it right. I like it. You guys are going to be in rare form by game time today. You're going to be ready. So, um, so that was fantastic. In fact, we finished the year with a 90 day operating cash reserve of 220,000, which means if all money ceased to exist, we could continue paying bills and doing what we're doing with no changes for 90 days. Um, so that's a really good thing that not a lot of churches, um, are blessed with, to be quite honest with you. And a building and opportunity savings fund of 447000 that we have in the bank to be able to look at maybe what God might bring our way in the future. So that's all really, really good news. That being said, the board, as we were looking at that, and, and that's, we are in a fantastic financial position. We really, really are. We're blessed. Um, but at the same time, the board was kind of looking at where we are financially and where we want to be and all these sorts of things. And there were some things that we weren't totally comfortable with that we needed to make some adjustments on. And so with that being the case, this year, building the budget was really hard, um, particularly regarding personnel issues here at the church. Um, personnel will always be, in really any organization, the biggest chunk of what an organization ends up spending. Payroll, insurance, benefits, uh, all, all of those sorts of things. Um, and that's the case with us. We're well within national averages for churches and all that sort of stuff. But we just, we didn't feel, we even felt last year that we wanted to find a way to change the way the, the, uh, the pie chart, if you will, looked in terms of how much we spend on all these different categories. And one of the ones we wanted to see shrink percentage-wise to some degree was personnel. And the reason it was a little bit bigger than we wanted is because if you remember in 2015, we hired Pastor Aaron Beamish, our executive pastor, and we hired Pastor Mitch Connell, our junior high pastor, who also does like social media and website and that stuff. And we knew when we hired them that we were sort of dipping into savings a little bit to be able to do that. But we felt like these were significant needs we as a church had. They were growth barriers. It was just a place, we, a, a move we needed to make. And the board unanimously agreed this is what we need to do. And we were blessed. These guys are gifts to our church and the organizational structure, the junior high ministry, the stuff going on among the kids, as you're even going to hear soon, has blossomed under the two of them. We are so blessed to have those guys. But um, doing that in hopes of a certain market correction, if you will, that never necessarily came. Um, as I said, giving went up at three and a half percent, but also just cost of doing business in the world right now has gone up significantly. If you're a business owner here in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, insurance alone got crazy the last two years. And so we were kind of looking at where we were as a church. We're like, we know where we want to go. What do we do about this stuff? And it actually forced us for the first time um, in the eight and a half year existence at Heritage Christian Fellowship to make some, um, some rather significant cuts with regards to um, staffing and, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, compensation packages for staff here at the church. So I'll give you an example. Um, the insurance package, we provide insurance for the families of full-time employees here at Heritage. Insurance in this next year, they told us to keep our same insurance coverage, our same insurance policy, was going to go up $10,000 for this year and another $17,000 next year. So a $27,000 increase just to keep the exact same health coverage that we had. I know, I know, it's all about to change. We'll see. 
right? But <laughs> we'll see. But we were kind of looking at that going, man, I, when we look at percentages, when we look at money going out, when we look at the things that we're going to do, we, we just have a real hard time spending that much money in that, as important as covering and taking care of staff families are. And so we had to make a pretty significant change. We, we abandoned the insurance policy that we were on before, and we took one on that was significantly less expensive, but with that came significantly less benefits for the staff families that were there. Deductibles went way up, costs went down, coverage just dropped. And, and in that way, we are not unlike many businesses that are out there right now. Some of you guys are shaking your heads right now because you're in that business world, and you know that those are hard decisions that have had to have been made. Amen? Um, but, but I can say this, when we went to the staff families and kind of told, told these guys like, Hey, here, here's what we got to do. And here's the situation. We kind of laid it out for them. Um, they worked in 100% agreement that this is what we needed. This is the move that we needed to make moving forward. 100% confidence in the mission at heritage and just saying, Hey, we'll do what we got to do, man. Let's just, whatever we got to do to move forward, God's good. And he's going to take care of us. And to that end, I'm just telling you guys, the staff has been unbelievable with regards to that. Uh, me, I, as the leader of the staff, like I went into that meeting, like, uh, I fight to take care of these guys. And so to bring that news was heavy and what an encouragement it was to see the hearts of people and how much they love you guys and they love taking care of and serving you guys and they're not doing it for a paycheck. Amen? Um, it, was, it was more, it was even more than that if I can share too. For example, um, the employee retirement accounts here for the full-time employees, we used to do 3% church matching like a lot of 401k plans and those kind of things go. Um, we cut that for the next year um, to, to try to, to make a little more room in our budget. So that's gone. And that and some other areas, um, basically for 2016, where we, we made $42,389 worth of cuts within our personnel compensation packages for this year, 59389 in 2018 moving forward. And so, but, but let me, if I can, I, it, I can't really see with the lights in my face here, but for the wives of the full-time staff and for the families of the full-time staff that are here, can I just say something to you on behalf of the board of directors of the church here? We have always, from the beginning, taken the philosophy that when we hire someone, then we have taken responsibility for them. They're not a resource just to be used up and discarded. That if we want people to take care of one another within the church, then we're going to start with how we take care of our volunteers and our staff and our elders, all that sort of stuff. And so it was a difficult thing to make that cut this year, especially knowing two of our families expect babies this spring. And so having to make health cuts and things like that was not easy. And so the board wants you to know this. We totally understand the sacrifices you have to make so that your husbands can serve the church body. We totally know what it's like to, when emergencies happen to have to see your husband get up and walk out of the house to go deal with things. We totally understand the sacrifice you make, and we have not backed off at all from our commitment to serve you, to walk through you, even or to walk with you, even through things that are coming up this year. We won't let the church staff families fall. We're going to take care of you because we love you and we do appreciate you. So please don't look at this as like, well, we're going to start getting corporate. It's a decision we believe we needed to make on behalf of being stewards of God's resources and all these things, but we still hold absolutely true to the fact that we are responsible to take care of you and we will walk you through all of these things. Amen? And would the church agree, I think? Yeah. <clears throat> And so we're going to keep walking this out and, uh, and just see what the Lord does. Now, that's all aside. 
Let's talk about now, okay, enough of the boring financials. So by the way, those of you who are members here at Heritage, by the time you get home, and maybe even already, you'll have emails that come from Pastor Aaron pushed to all the members of the church with a more detailed financial breakdown on all those sorts of things. I believe on that form, there's even a place if you have questions or whatever, you can contact us. So feel free to do so. But that's enough. That's the numbers. That's the money, whatever. Now maybe the question becomes, so what do we do with all that? What did God accomplish through the church? What actually happened? So let me talk with you a little bit first about our Heritage Kids program. The Heritage Kids program here, um, as you know, kind of the tagline, if you will, partnering with families to raise a generation that follows Jesus. This was the first full year that our Heritage Milestones program was enacted. Um, That is the program, as you know, where we identify specific steps along the development of a child, and we seek to come alongside the families and teach them and nurture, support, and provide for them so that they can be disciple makers in their own home and raise kids that follow Jesus and raise kids that follow Jesus and on and on and on. And so this was the first full year that we had that program up and running. And so in the children's ministry, we had 25 families go through that program with 18 children dedicated, seven children baptized. Our Heritage Kids volunteers here, just to give you an idea, even as as we speak, what's going on, we average approximately 100 different volunteers who serve each month. And on every Wednesday night when the Awanas and everything gathers together here, we average 35 to 40 volunteers every Wednesday night, just volunteers, 35 to 40. To help you understand how significant that number is, before Pastor Brent came along in the Awanas program, we used to average 12 kids. 12 kids on Wednesday night. Now we've got 35 to 40 volunteers taking care of, on average, 125 kids every Wednesday night coming into the Iwanis program. Amen. Touchdown. Amen, right? The Iwanis program, those kids, they've memorized over 1,500 Bible verses just in 2016 alone. Um, the two service change brought a 26% increase in children's attendance. And to give you an idea of the number of kids, like um, on Sunday mornings, we average about 130 kids in our children's ministry program uh, per average with a high, I think, recently of 167. But to give you an idea, in one given month, we've seen over 292 different kids make their way through the children's ministry, check into the program. And every one of those kids are coming through and they are learning the gospel. They've got volunteers loving on them. They're being cared for and nurtured, and God is doing amazing, amazing things in the children's ministry here at Heritage Christian Fellowship. You might say, touchdown. Amen. Amen. I like it. I like it. I like it. So let's move on. High school ministry. Man, this is quite a list. Uh, 14 families went through the Milestones program with them, movement to maturity and preparing to launch. They supplied Bibles and send-off kits to 13 graduating seniors and their families, taught over 70 chapters of the Bible, went through a Tim Keller series called A Reason for God, completed a series on building godly friendships, completed a series on building godly relationships, completed a series on how to study the Bible for themselves, explored what it's like to follow Jesus in an urban environment, even went up to Seattle to do that and went to an inner city church up in Seattle. Statistically speaking, there's a lot of kids that will leave a place like Medford and end up in some of the larger urban areas. And so, so Pastor Jeremy and the youth ministry leaders wanted to kind of walk them through that. Like, hey, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus in a city, in a place where a lot of people go and they lose their vision of following Jesus. It was an amazing thing. Facilitated a summer camp at Mountain Lakes with Community Bible Church, our friends over here in Central Point. 
And then they even fundraised and raised over $1,000 just themselves to support their own missionary. Erica Winnie, who was part of the youth group here, now serving in Taiwan through YWAM, they actually came together themselves, raised over $1,000 through all sorts of fundraising projects to be able to support their own ministry and, or their own missionary within the youth ministry at Heritage. You might say... Touchdown. Very good. Come on. I'm losing some of you. Get back in the game. Get back in the game. It's only the second quarter. All right. uh, Women's ministry. We had two packed out women's ministry events. Another coming this spring. 30 women committed to reading the Bible together. 50, um, 50 women participated in writing out books of the Bible daily and weekly. And let me just clarify, they're not writing new books of the Bible. We're not heretics. They're literally, as a part of learning and absorbing the scriptures, they're just sitting down every day and just writing out the books of the existing Bible. Just so you know. Women's ministry got weird. No, it didn't. They're doing great. Um, uh, 140 plus women are in Bible studies that have covered just last year alone, first Peter, Hebrews, Ezra, Nehemiah, how to study the Bible and gospel centered woman. That's a lot of stuff that they covered. And Kathy says the biggest successes, successes being the ongoing connection of women to God, building of relationships with each other in gospel community. The women's ministry killed it this year. You might even say scored a touchdown, a little better. I still need some more. And this side's weak over here. Just letting you guys know. Just letting you guys know. Um, Wednesday night study, we did a series on spiritual... Oh, wait, I'm sorry, men's ministry, you forgot. Um, A29, Acts 29 Man Camp was a huge success last year. Our church played a lead role in that. Um, Pastor Harvey Turner from Living Stones in Reno came and taught all the men through the book of Titus. We did a series on a dude's guide to manhood this year. We did a series on act like a man. We did the truth project together. There were many men-to-men monthly discipleship meetings, and we installed an elder and training program um, to be able to take men in the church and bring them alongside the current elders and kind of raise them up to help be leaders in the church. Um, And men's ministry, as I'll tell you in a minute, is something we're going to be investing in much more heavily in the year to come. Either way, they still scored a? All the women are like, that's a field goal. We covered so much more than them. They just got a field goal. Whatever, whatever. Wednesday night Bible study. We did a series on spiritual disciplines. We did a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. We're halfway now through a series on the books of the Old Testament. I'll be teaching on Job, I think, this week. Um, And then we did those first Wednesday events, which thanks in large part to the Sweet Tea Express, we were able to raise money to be donated to the Pregnancy Center, one local school, and the Feed My Starving Children project. It was a fantastic success there. You're getting ahead of me. I haven't said it yet. You might say we scored a... All right. We had volunteer training day. This is going to be a bigger list. Hang tight. It's like a long drive, you know, five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards. So hang with me. Uh, Volunteer training day. We had 130 volunteers come to our first volunteer training day. They did breakout sessions for every area of service at Heritage. And at that thing, 26 people came that weren't even yet serving anywhere just to say, I'll find something when I get there, which was an incredible thing. We got another one of those coming. Um, We started a connect ministry, as many of you have seen and benefited from. When you came in, we just felt like, man, people are sort of falling through the tracks. Cracks. Falling through the cracks. When you, when you just talk by second service, you're just on autopilot sometimes. So um, anyway, falling through the cracks, how can we kind of integrate people and come alongside people and help them graft into the church? So we started the Connect Ministry, which has been a huge undertaking. The coffee, Pastor's Coffees, we'll be having one of those next week um, after both services. 
We implemented the Shepherding Elders program where we have 19 Shepherding Elders now serving at Heritage. And uh, even in that, that was, that was a much bigger undertaking even um, getting off the ground than we realized when we started doing that. Um, we faced a few challenges during that. One guy ended up having to move. Another guy had some major job issues that came and kind of had to pull out for a season. And so I know some of you were like, man, the Shepherding Elder program for me has been amazing. Others of you have been like, no one ever called me this year. I, don't, I feel like I got dropped. Um, so there were some successes successes and some failures in that. Um, but we're really working hard right now to kind of shore that up. Um, just getting that off the ground, like I said, was a lot harder than we thought, but we have fantastic expectations moving forward, even reaching out to places like Pacific Bible College and Western Seminary to help train and equip the elders that we have. So we're really excited about that. Um, we restructured Heritage's security team with updated policy, volunteers, and trainings. We brought our financial reporting to within 30 days, uh, uh, so we get monthly staff reports on every dollar that's spent now every 30 days for the board to be able to look at. We outsourced our bookkeeping to a third-party financial team. We used to have, our, our bookkeeping used to be done in-house, um, but w- what we ended up doing this year is we moved it to a company called Finch Accounting, which specializes in churches and works really close with Acts 29. And we got to know them and the guys, a couple, uh, uh, the, the founders, the presidents, you might say, of the company last year. And, um, and so now our bookkeeping in large degree is outsourced through them. They're a federal, federally insured. They've got all these algorithms and stuff in place. So we get really fast, really clean reporting. We get eyes that are outside of our situation that are looking into the things that are going on. And it's been a really, really good, good process for us. And what it did, the gal who was leading that, Holly Dyer, who was the bookkeeper in-house, is now the one who leads our Connect Team ministry. So it freed up resources to be able to better serve the people of the church. And um, that was a lot of work making that shift, but it went so smoothly. And I can tell you guys this, by the way, Finch is a pretty, pretty um, um, substantial outfit. They even handle the money for all of Acts 29 on the, on the entire West Coast. And they told us that the way Heritage's books were organized and laid out and categorized and structured and um, kind of the stewardship that we were doing overall with our books made that one of the smoothest transitions they've ever seen, especially with a church our size moving forward. So we are really, really proud of the board of directors and especially of our bookkeeper, Holly, who's been really serving you and serving God well in that area. You might say they scored a big touchdown. Yes, yes. Um, we also hired a part-time administrative assistant this year. Uh, one of our part-time staff backed off on their hours, and we just brought that back up, if you will, by hiring Angela Keelock, and she's been an incredible resource to our team, helping manage a lot of things, and she helps out with the Connect Desk as well. Um, pastoral training and stuff. Pastors at Heritage have received coasting, or coaching through North, North Coast Church in San Diego, Grace City in Wenatchee, Washington, Sojourn Church in Louisville, Kentucky. We've attended Acts 29 training workshops and conferences that were topics on revival, multiplication, assimilation, racial reconciliation, and the raising up and training of elders. And I want to talk to you guys for just a second about Acts 29, because I know you guys know that we're part of Acts 29. You know that Matt Chandler is the president of Acts 29, and he's just a ridiculous, ferocious gospel preacher. Um, And Jeremy even said a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about how really maybe the best teaching in the country right now is actually coming through the Acts 29 network. 
Um, if you're looking for things like podcasts and, and stuff like that to take in, man, write some of these names down. There's so, such incredible teaching out there. Um, Matt Chandler, of course. Eric Mason, just a, a gospel on fire brother in Philadelphia. Um, Joby Martin, one of the funniest men in the world with a thick southern Florida accent, preaching the gospel down in, in uh, Jacksonville. They, their church, it's hilarious. Their church is called the Church of 1122. Because this goofball, when he started the church, they were like, what time should it start? And he literally went, what's 1122 right now? That'll be it. And so they started their church at 1122 every day. It's the weirdest thing, and they've just exploded. It's just awesome. So Joby Martin, look that guy up. Yancey Arrington's going to be speaking at Man Camp this year out of Houston, Texas. He's an incredible teacher. So there's phenomenal teaching that comes through 829. But that's not the point of 829. That's, that's a byproduct or a, a nice perk, or it's great to be associated with them. But the Acts 29 network really is more than teaching. It's even more than training workshops or conferences. It's a single issue network that is dedicated to planting churches that plant churches. And networking people together through shared resources, shared experiences to plant churches all over the world and preach the gospel in places where it's not been done. And it's incredible what's happening. Um, I even got the privilege on their ticket. They bought the plane tickets for me and said, we want you to come with us. I get to go to, to Manchester, England in March to go to an Acts 29 conference and see what God's doing in Europe and be a part of their conference. It's amazing what they're doing over there. Um, but I wanted you guys to be able to see what's happening and then see what your giving here at Heritage is actually doing because we've not done a great job in helping you understand what you're really a part of. So first of all, 829 put together a video that helps you understand sort of their mission. And then I'm going to show you practically what you as a church are doing in the world through 829. Can you guys roll this? Church planting is God's strategy to disciple the nations. It is through his church that Christ will reach into every corner of the earth. And so we go. We drill deep into our neighborhoods with the transforming power of the gospel. We reach wide with the gospel so that the whole world can hear. The gospel word is alive. It penetrates hearts and cultures. With it, we drill deep into the richness and brokenness of our community. Imagine a society saturated with churches committed to radically serve their neighborhoods, to face head-on the complexities of their culture, fighting injustice, exposing lies, celebrating diversity, lifting high the name of Jesus. Imagine life springing forth in barren post-Christian cultures. Imagine passion welling up amongst families once bored of empty religious tradition. Imagine peace in communities long divided by history and race. Imagine Hispanic churches planting out of English-speaking churches in the most diverse cities in the US. A church in South Africa where people of all backgrounds and skin color link arms under one savior. A church in a project comprised of men and women, once addicts, gang members, thieves, pimps and prostitutes, but now loving God and others faithfully, joyfully, sacrificially. A church in Turkey, lovingly speaking truth, despite bombs in the streets and threats from extremists. Imagine an explosion of churches planting churches, digging ever deeper 
with the beauty of Christ into the ugliest parts of their communities. We are drilling deep. Let's drill even deeper. Now imagine this gospel spreading, reaching into every dark corner of this planet. Imagine a surge of disciples wanting to be trained and sent out. Men, women, families counting the cost to go where Christ is not yet named, not knowing when or if they will return. Imagine indigenous communities of light sprouting in dark, inaccessible and intimidating contexts where grace is still not known. Imagine a work with refugees in Europe, giving homes to the homeless, giving hope to the hopeless, fueled by prayers that one day these men and women will return home bravely, wisely to plant churches. A church in the poorest parts of Brazil, feeding families, providing education, speaking truth. Academies, equipping and resourcing young Christians to engage with the mountain complexities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this world. Churches in the Middle East, seeing members martyred, but still holding unswervingly to the truth they profess. Communities forming and growing, shaped by the gospel in deeply secular cultures and communities. A church in Paris, discipling and sending Iranians back home, transformed and equipped with gospel zeal. Imagine churches all over this globe, partnering together, flourishing and reaching out with the gospel. By God's grace, we are reaching wide. Let's pray for gospel arms to reach even wider around the world. There is not a square inch of this world that Christ on the cross has not won for himself. There is not a square inch where the church of Christ should not be. Showing love, giving hope, speaking truth. Acts 29 is a diverse global family of church planting churches, drilling deeper, reaching wider, planting churches until every neighborhood is saturated with the gospel so that the unreached are no longer the unreachable. Amen. Now, this idea of church planning, hold your applause, we're almost done with this part anyway. This idea of planning churches is much more than just philosophical. Um, our church, I'm excited even to report that we are among the top five donors into the Acts 29 network on the entire West Coast um, of the 13 states of the U.S. West, which includes like Colorado, Utah, that whole area. Um, we're one of the bigger players in that entire network in then. And so the money that we donate through Acts 29 and the participation we have in that network is tangibly right now being used to support the following churches. Can you put this up? Uh, we got Pastor Nick in Costa Mesa, California, Pastor Brad in Winnemucca, Nevada, Pastor Chris in Los Angeles, Samuel in Irvine, we've got Nate in Eureka, Tommy in Los Angeles, Jared in Post Falls, Chris in Rancho Santa Margarita, we've got Rick Reeves in Eugene, Dane in uh, uh, Hawaii, let's go visit him, Jason in Phoenix, Arizona, we got Brett in Cucamonga, Rancho Cucamonga, California, Joey in San Diego, Rudy in Lakewood. I just want to meet him so I can go, Rudy, Rudy. And then Brad Edwards in Lafayette, Colorado. Each one of those churches today is worshiping Jesus and its doors are open thanks in large part to the support of the Acts 29 network and in large part because of your giving here at Heritage Christian Fellowship. We are part of what's going on in these churches all over the place. That's a giant, big Touchdown. Guys, you, can I just, hey, wake up, wake up. Okay, 
Okay, so that's really, really good news that's going on right there. But now let me talk quickly in the moments we have left about missions and benevolence, about what we as a church are doing to reach out and to help those that are in need. We provided holiday meals for over 100 families, many in the foster care program and DHS. We provided Christmas gifts for families in the on-track program. 120 different kids received 345 different gifts this year. Um, We've given to organizations like the 127 Foundation, Youth for Christ, YWAM, On Track, and the Medford Pregnancy Center. Um, And I want to talk about a couple of those as well as one new one that's on the list this year. Um, First of all, it's referred to, this new organization is called Mercy's Gate. Mercy's Gate was started by the Fiddlers. Some of you guys know um, the Fiddlers from from history back in our Applegate days and all that sort of stuff. Um, It's modeled after a program that they experienced in Colorado when they were there. And, it, and this is how it works. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but as a church, a lot of times you get calls all the time for people saying, hey, can you help me with my rent? Can you help me with my power bill? And, and um, w- within the church family, it's, it's sort of a no-brainer. We want to come around and help. W- when those calls come from outside the church family, it's a little more complicated. Not that we don't want to help, but that there's a lot of people that just take advantage of the ger- generosity of churches and you don't know how to vet them out. And honestly, what happens is some people in difficulty, and, and it may be legitimate difficulty. I'm not saying we don't help them in this situation, but you do have a lot of people who just go through the phone book and they just call church after church after church after church. And there's been so many times that even as those calls have come to us, when we've put in all this time, to try to vet it out and check references and all this stuff, that sometimes you find out the story's not even real. You find out it's just, this is how some people are even making livings. And, and it, honestly, there's been so many times I just get jaded. I just feel like, man, we want to help people, but everybody's lying. Everybody's taking advantage of the system and it becomes really hard. Well, what the fiddlers are doing, or I should say what Mercy's Gate is doing, um, is they've partnered several churches. Um, Right now, I think there's 15, maybe more in the valley. Medford Naz, Westminster Presbyterian, Mountain, ourselves, several churches in the valley. Where what we do is that external benevolence money that we would normally budget and set aside for those types of needs that come our way. All of that money now goes to Mercy's Gate. And what Mercy's Gate seeks to do is become sort of a filter on behalf of churches. And their main mission is to try to be able to help people out before they get to the full-on homeless poverty level. Once you get to that point, statistically speaking, it's so much more difficult to come back. But it also serves churches because it protects and helps us steward our resources because it's not someone taking advantage of the system and going from church to church to church to church to church. So we push that money now to Mercy's Gate, who then has their own board, and they walk alongside people and connect them with local churches in the valley so that their needs aren't just being met practically and physically, but that their needs are being met spiritually. It is a gift. Let me just tell you as a staff employee at this church, it is a blessing to be able to push people when those calls come and say, yes, we help with rent assistance. Here's how we do it. Call Mercy's Gate. And the way that they deal with that and take care of that is a gift to this valley. Amen. It's a huge touchdown. It really is. So listen, those guys are actually going to be set up this morning. If you want to be a part of that or support that, or you're looking for places, even yourself to donate that are making a difference. And maybe you feel like us, like, man, I want to help people, but how do I even know who to help and who's legit? That's where you go. Talk to them. They're, they're here this morning. They would love to talk with you or go on their website and you can find out more information there. Um, The second one I wanted to mention in particular, Medford Pregnancy Center, just a reminder of a giant success. 
the Save the Storks bus came. It is here. It is up and running. We hope to have good report from Cindy very soon about just change lives stories of how babies and their mothers are being saved through the Save the Storks bus. And I'm telling you, we were, I mean, this church, I'm going to brag on us because we're here and I love this church. We were the point players in that. Even most of the volunteers over there are heritage people. It's awesome to see what God is doing over there. Amen? That's a giant touchdown. And then one more. Let me share this one with you. I'm so excited to share this one. So the 127 foundation I mentioned is based off of James 127, which says pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, that you visit the orphan and widow in their trouble and you keep oneself unspotted before the world. I know that verse really well because I lived in Carmen, Sudan, Mexico at the Mexico mission down there that's been around for a really long time. My wife and I lived there for about a year. And there we, we help teach the school discipleship, but everyone's job down there really is to take care of a group of orphans um, that are in the care of the mission down in that place. Um, we call them the kids, as you'll see in just a second. They're not really children anymore, but they're handicapped orphans that really can't exist on their own. They need a place like the mission um, to take care of them. The church that had been the, the uh, I don't want to just say primary, they were the sole supporter of that particular ministry um, a year ago pulled out. And so there was a lot of questions about what's going to happen, what's going to happen with the mission. There was organizational changes that had to take place. Um, and a guy named Drew Davis really stepped up when he saw what was happening. And they created this organization called the 127 Foundation. And he went around to a lot of the different people who have history with the mission down there and talked about what's going on. Um, and when we heard about it, we took it to the board. And Heritage has now become one of the primary supporters financially of the mission. And now in the next year, we want to increase even our practical support there. Um, but it was a privilege to be able to come alongside these kids and just say, we're not going to let them drop. We're going to support the work that the Lord's doing here and just make this a new one of our missions outreaches here in Carmen, Sedan, Mexico. So we, that was one of the unbudgeted expenses that we had of this year. It was something that just came up and we were like, that is the Lord. That is an opportunity for us to make a difference in the world. And so we're going to do it. So we've been really excited about that and looking to do some stuff. I know the, the flip side of 50 group is going to start planning a mission trip down there here pretty soon. Um, the high school group is going down in June. Um, and we want to get some other opportunities for you guys to go down there and experience what goes on. It's such a great, great place to experience um, really what third world missions feels like. Um, so we've been doing this for a while. And then as I was planning all this, as we were arranging all of this kind of stuff, um, we got a message from the mission, specifically from the mission to us and to the supporters of the 127 Foundation. Like it literally came through on Saturday night while I was arranging these things. I'm super excited just to hear what they have to say to you. For 26 years, this place was supported by one church, and last year they had to pull out. And at first, we didn't know really what we were going to do. Two thousand sixteen marked a, a huge year for us in the shift of not only the leadership structure here, but also the financial support system. There have been weeks that we wondered, man, where is next week's provision? 
It was a challenging season, but it gave birth to a new US-based nonprofit organization called the 127 Foundation. We've seen God miraculously provide in incredible ways that we never saw happen. God moving on the hearts of individuals and churches to come down here, not only to give financially, but to help physically build and really transform this place. And on behalf of the mission, we all just want to give a big thanks. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. I want to really give thanks to everybody who has come alongside the mission and especially the kids here. We feel like God has done abundantly above all that we could ask or think and we're looking forward to an incredible 2017 and seeing what God is going to do. Touchdown! Oh my goodness, I tear up every time I see that. If you guys when those opportunities come, trust me, go to the mission. Experience what the Lord's doing down there. And those kids, they will change your life. If you've been there before and you've experienced it, can I get an amen? amen. It is an incredible, incredible place. And so, guys, just to kind of close things out, we, we've continued, as you know, to work through Uganda. Um, we're actually working at potentially setting up even some video connection there so that we can do more things back and forth with them, even when we're not able to go. Continuing to support orphans. And for heritage members and non-members alike, we've still been able to provide uh, lodging, utilities, medical needs, counseling needs, practical needs, and many, many more. Um, the church has given away almost $100,000 again this year just to meet the needs of people both in our community and abroad. And we're really thankful for your giving and for your support of what Heritage does that allows us to do that. Amen? Touchdown. Touchdown. Now, looking ahead to 2017, just to close out, just to give you guys some ideas of, of kind of what, what we're looking at. Um, we've approved another fiscally conservative budget, as you might have put together. Um, each staff member has submitted annual ministry plans with specific goals for the next year. We're implementing action plans to improve communication with the church, members, and the church as a whole. Um, we're working on realignment of staffing responsibilities so that we can invest and build out in two areas in particular, our huddle ministry and our men's ministry, to invest to a greater degree in those. Um, continuing mission work in Mexico and Uganda, continuing to support church planners in the U.S. West, and provide um, also to provide vision avenue and training for those maybe even here who want to be one of those church planters themselves one day. Man, we would love to be able to come alongside you and see one of our own on that list. Would that be amazing to, to see that? We want to 
do that. Um, we've got more volunteer training events coming. We want to do elder training. We're working with Pacific Bible College and Western Seminary to set some things up for that. Um, we're doing a marriage workshop on communication with a counselor in town, Randy Young. That's going to be coming up in May. Um, a Greece trip, as you know, to study the Bible at the place where Paul was in September. Um, we're going to be supporting Terry Haynes and a new work that he's doing in ministering to veterans at the VA Dom, a largely forgotten group there. We're going to be supporting that. We're going to get further behind Jason Licato and the work he did with Feed My Starving Children. You guys remember that thing. They raised uh, 124,632 meals to feed 341 kids for a year. It's an unbelievable thing there. And we want to just continue to increase our giving and increase our stewardship and increase our witness and increase our footprint both in the Rogue Valley and in the world as a whole. Why? Because we want heritage to be great. No. No. We can't believe what heritage is in the first place. Trust me, talk to some of our staff people. It's a miracle with me as your lead pastor that we ever got here. All right? I'm serious about that though. God has been so good. And when we look back at what God has done through our church, how can we not have faith that God just wants to do more and more in the future? How can we not see what God has done and see the calls of scripture and how over and over and over he took the little and look what he did. And he's taken this church from this little bitty group that met in that hot, unair conditioned gym at Jewett Elementary School in 2008. And now he's spreading the gospel all over the world just through our little bitty group. And so we want to continue to be more faithful. We want to grow in our stewardship. We want to grow in even our organization to be able to get things done. But all of those things are based on a growth of understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Jesus did for us. And looking back at what God has done for us over and over and over, even the communion table reminding us what he's done on our behalf, that he is the God who set us free. And to say, that's who God is. Right now, all over the world, people are talking about 2016. Worst year ever. We're racially divided. We're politically divided. We're divided over human sexuality. It was the worst year ever. That's what everybody wants to talk about. But I'm here to declare to you with absolute truth and confidence, Jesus won in 2016. And I don't want to blow the end for you, but Jesus will win in 2017 too. <laughs> Nothing happened that knocked God off of his agenda. Nothing happened in the last year that made God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit huddle up to say, we need a new plan. Nothing happened, not even Stephanie falling down. God knew all of these things, and God is continuing to weave history together and work through even the darkest circumstances to accomplish some of the greatest victories in the history of mankind. And all of them are accomplished, not through an organized mega church, but through the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so let's pray together that we continue to be on board with God's agenda. Let's continue to grow. Let's continue to study and learn and pray and reach out, as the 829 thing says, that we dig deeper here and reach wider out there. Amen? Will you stand with me and let's do just that. There's this, there's this story, you guys, it's, it's this little story maybe you've heard of. It's called the Chronicles of Narnia. And, and in it, if you, if you don't know about it, you're going to think I'm high, but I'm not. Um, in it, these people end up inside a beaver's den, and they're talking to Mr. and Mr. Beaver, who are also talking back. And they're talking about all the negative that has happened. 
And they're like, oh man, the, the witch has taken over. It's winter everywhere. Tumnus has been kidnapped. He's in the witch's castle. And you guys know, whoever goes in there, they don't really come back out. And there's this like, you see it in the movie, all their faces sort of like, oh, like what are we going to do? And Mrs. Beaver goes, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. There's reason for hope. And Mr. Beaver goes, oh, there's a bit more than hope. Aslan is on the move. And just in case you don't know, Aslan is Jesus in the story. And so here's what I want to tell you. Like when you hear all that news everywhere that talks about how bad the year is and where's America going and what's the future going to be like and how dark is all this stuff. Listen, Jesus is moving. He's never stopped moving and he won't stop moving until the day that we see him face to face. And then that's when it really gets good. So we fight from victory and we just want to be better and better stewards and more and more faithful to his gospel as we move forward so that we can continue experiencing his victories. So God is moving and he's working through us. Amen? Amen. And that is a... Jesus, I just thank you so much for the good report of what you've done through this church and through your kingdom as a whole. I thank you for your provision. I thank you for your leadership. And I thank you for your grace. And I pray, God, that as we go forward into this next year, that the report would be even better. Not just so that we can say, look how the church grew or that we can pat ourselves on the back, but that you might take territory and we might just be a part of the victories that you're accomplishing We thank you for your goodness. We trust you in whatever storms or victories might be ahead. And I pray, God, you would inspire the people of your church to step out more and more and more as your day draws closer and closer. We thank you for report of Stephanie. Praise God. Lord, may you continue to heal and restore her and be with Craig and the family and the kids. And may you be with this church moving forward. We pray all these things from hope in your name, Jesus. Amen. All God's people said... Amen. Love you guys. Have a great, great week.